Welcome to the Theatre of Others podcast. My name is Adam Marple, and I'm the co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing a shutdown and re-evaluation of space and gathering, we at the Theatre of Others are thinking about what stories we need and how best we can share them. We believe space is psychology, and it informs the way in which an audience interacts and reacts to what is presented to them. We create uniquely theatrical events in bespoke sensory performance spaces crafted to encourage curiosity and grant the audience permission to commune with the play. Now that that space has moved online, how can we encourage interaction and action amongst an audience virtually? The Theatre Brothers produces plays that both welcome and challenge the audience. We are committed to international collaboration and are a laboratory that helps artists grow through intensive study of their craft. On the podcast today, joining from Melbourne, Australia, are Booty Miller, co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others, and myself in Puebla, Mexico. The Theatre of Others creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purpose of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary, and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task, and it requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Booty, how you going? You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing really good. Really I'm good. Really good. Why? Yeah. You always trump me. You I'm, always are doing better than I am. Why are you doing so much better? Well, it's because I'm so sensitive. That's <clears throat> why. Because I'm just a sensitive, I'm just a sensitive human being. Uh-huh. And I'm, I, I'm, I just finished watching. David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet mm. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yo. Oh my God. It finishes with him saying, This is my witness statement. Ooh. It is so fucking amazing. Every single one of y'all listening to this podcast right now must watch David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet immediately. It starts off really depressing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's also, but, but this is, you know, the past podcasts, I keep talking about what kind of ancestor are you becoming? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah. And he is full on like representing mm. the white man, the way the white man should be, mm. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm always yelling at the white man, you know, I'm always trying to bring a white man on as an ally, but just. That David Attenborough, he is incredible, y'all. Yeah. And Akshay was laughing because he was like, yeah, David Attenborough, he opened up an um, Instagram account and he was the fastest Instagram, new Instagram account to reach a million followers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, it, I'm just, I'm moved. I'm deeply, deeply moved because it's, it pushes beyond these h- human barriers of race and politics and capitalism and angry emotions of people Mm. (laughs) and goes into us as a species on this planet and how we are interconnected with other species on this planet. And if we don't get our shit together, we will be gone and the rest of the planet will continue. Yeah. All those other problems won't mean anything if the planet is boiling and we're all dead. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that got me, Adam, was... Him looking at the science and, and talking about what he and, and they they give us numbers at him like from when he be, from when he began when he when he when he when I say when he began basically when he when he was born yeah <laughs> and then his career but the numbers that they give us are like the the population and then um, the amount of emissions mm-hmm. and the amount of of nature that's left Mm. and it went from like the 70s for nature down to 35 percent of the planet has nature yeah and the and the other thing that got me was when he was talking about um uh how we can turn this around but the thing is we got to do it now y'all we really got to do it now because what's going to happen is when it reaches that tipping point the 
the gases and the and um the the uh the uh carbon uh what is it carbon dioxide carbon yeah carbon yeah, dioxide, dioxide. is yeah. that the yeah, ca- yeah yeah the CO2. carbon emissions will actually feed itself and mm-hmm. increase and go faster that's the problem that we have right now because if we because if we lose our ice caps we lose the reflection of the heat of the sun. So the ice caps are actually reflecting the heat of the sun so to keep our planet cool. Mm-hmm. So, if the heat, so if the oceans start to warm up, uh, um, Jazzy Husk, girl, another shout out for my girl Jazzy Husk, and looking at the Great Barrier Reefs and, uh, and, and, and our, our wildlife in the, in the water, because um, of the heat of the of the, of the the ocean getting warmer, we're, uh, the coral is dying. So there's like these wastelands of coral that are all white because it's just basically skeletons and then they connect then they collect all the seaweed and it just becomes this this wasteland under 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 the under the under the water um and so my like i am i'm feeling like totally i was like okay actually our next step is we need to get a compost thing in our back he's like that's going to be your response i said yes we need because this is the thing i'm a vegetarian you know not by choice but now it's you know now it's it, it, it's helping the planet. And I actually re- realized when, when I went vegetarian that I could see like how much less waste I had in the house because meat is accompanied by so much waste. My Indian husband is a meat eater, but he doesn't eat as much meat as I used to back in the day. Cause you know, I was, I was a paleo monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, I'm buzzing. This is, this is why I'm so good at him. I'm just buzzing. I'm like, like, and like looking at like, you know, if, if we actually had a world where we completely didn't need carbon emissions from burning fossil fuel and we could just get everything from the water, the wind, the, the sun, it's endless energy. Now, I know all this shit is old, and everyone knows about this shit. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm, I'm really glad that you've learned about climate change this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know about this shit, but I'm, I'm pumped. I think, I think the other thing is because I've been so down and angry. Yeah. You know, about, about human problems. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I just needed that Attenborough video to start, kind of, you know, step back and actually look at the whole landscape of mm. this planet, you know. I've <laughs> the same, the same, similar in a, in a different way. In that, like, I've gotten on a kick recently of where I'm watching. There was this on Netflix, uh, this this uh, TV show miniseries kind of thing called Away, with Hilary Swank mm-hmm. in it and uh, kind of an international I cast, and it's about the first manned mission to Mars, and how it's going to take all the countries on Earth to fund and. The, the resources and development of all those things. So like, you know, you need to have, you know, obviously you need to have NASA and SpaceX, but you also need to have the Chinese uh, and you need to have the Indian and you need to have the Russian space forces and you need to have the EU and you need to have all the countries on earth really helping to do that. And of course, you know, it's a typical sci-fi film where, you know, here all the problems that will happen in space and all that. But more than anything else, I just kind of started thinking about what it means that, that we are, we are looking to go to Mars. We are looking to, to <laughs> colonize Mars and things like that. And so once that was done, it said, maybe you'd be interested in watching um, this special about the, the, um, the Challenger. Remember the, the, the space shuttle that, that, mm-hmm. that blew up in 85, 86? And I remember I was, mm. I was in elementary school and I watched it live. I'm sure you probably watched it live wherever you were. You were in high school maybe. You're calling me old? No, I just you are older than I am, so <laughs> everybody knows that. But everybody, everybody in the United States watched it live because it was a big deal. Because there was a teacher yeah, that was I going remember. into space. It was live on TV. We had never seen anything like it. And then there's a new series that I'm watching, just just called Mars. Again, it's about the exploration going to Mars. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Of going, yeah, I don't want to give up on this planet. I don't want to give up on this. I do understand from a from a you know a failsafe understanding, yes, we need to go to another planet just to perpetuate the human species, so that if something bad were to happen to the planet, we could still live. But at the same time, like just I don't, don't take capitalism to Mars, please, y'all. Well, you know that's how they're going to fund it because of the mining. So, <laughs> but it's just a thing of going like I I don't want us to kind of say like, well, this place is shit. Let's move on. Instead, let's go. Let's put that yeah. same entrepreneurial spirit, that same kind of innovation into fixing and stopping what we're doing yeah 
this planet needs us y'all and no species is alone like the way that we evolve and and grow is by being you know co you know deliverers of this life with other species on this planet Mm. you know and being communal you know and this is this is you know what we talk about in theater all the time you know it's like it just and as and as human beings we just get crap crapped on by our by our really fucked up ideas <laughs> yeah. and in turn we crap on ourselves and then we crap on others and then there's crap everywhere <laughs> and it's like <laughs> if you just turn to the person to your left and say hey what are you thinking what's going on or this is what i'm thinking this is how i feel mm. you know and and, and and you know and i've got and i it, it kind of really helps at this particular stage and you know, from an American perspective with all the shit that we're dealing with and the bipartisanism and the things that are happening. But just to remember that, you know, I have some very conservative friends um, that I love deeply, Mm. deeply Mm -hmm. love, right? And and others have family members that they love deeply. Mm -hmm. And it's like, as soon as we start to shut off our love for the people that you know, love us back, even though they have different ideas and opinions, and that's okay. But I think this election is really going to show how, when we win the election and Trump goes away, mm-hmm. you know, I'm all about manifesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll still be able to love each other and keep moving the the progression of America in a direction that the people wanted to go in, you know? And that's what I said when Trump won. Remember, I was like, yep, America got the president they deserve. You know, if if he didn't win the popular yeah. vote, then you need to deal with why someone that doesn't get the popular vote can be the president of the United States. Exactly. That's what you need to deal with. Exactly. You know? Yep. And I just, you know, look, I, I think I, I think that's my biggest thing. It's like, I'm, I, and that's why I feel, at, at first I was like, oh my God, I was so depressed, like watching David Attenborough, like going, <laughs> this man is 93 years old and he's literally slapping the fuck out of us right now. He's pitting us all over his knee and spanking the shit out of us and telling us to snap the fuck out of it. Good. And it, and it, and it felt like so ominous at the, at the top of it. But then like, when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh my God, we can do something. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's a segue or not. <laughs> well, I think I think the biggest thing is well, when we're talking about uh, uh, what some countries are doing, when you look at Holland and how they only have a certain land mass, and they found ways to to be able to farm in yeah. eco friendly ways. You know, and and that really is about how the, the it's really the composition of the entire plan of the whole uh, uh, country and city and how they and how they manage these systems because well, of the way it's ju- composed. Yeah. That's just it. It's 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 a it's a, a group effort. Everybody has to chip in. Everybody has to do it. If there's you know if there's one asshole who wants to drive uh, you know a high octane car while everybody else is is you know riding a bicycle then it doesn't work because hmm. they they don't offset each other but everybody chips in everybody does it and you know sometimes you need the government to kind of kick you in the ass and say well you're going to get a tax if you want that big ass car you you know we're going to add an extra thing onto there so that they can nudge you in that direction but it's also just the kind of the collective group effort of going you know what i actually want to chip in i think we talked about this a long time ago mm. but i was saying You know, imagine if World War II were happening now, you know, our grandparents, they, they collected rubber, they collected uh, tin and aluminum and and they sacrificed things. They made a garden in their backyard and like people are angry that their Amazon order is two weeks late now. It's like, (laughs) like the collective action, the collective kind of effort of going, I'm going to do my part just does not exist anymore because nobody has anything that they agree on or are reaching towards or can say like we're we're all in this together and you know the only thing that we're all in this together on is the planet (laughs) we all have a stake in that saving where we live exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know, as, as a segue into what we need to talk about today, um, which is composition. Can we just start off kind of with an idea of what composition is before we go on break? So yeah. people can kind of frame it in their brain going, what the hell is Adam going to talk about composition for? What does that mean? So think about composition like sketching. We all doodle, you know, we'll be sitting in a meeting and just kind of like, you know, pen to paper doing whatever. But thinking of an idea and just kind of putting it out there, composition, say, like in the terms of uh, music, um, uh, we sketch, we're recording our ideas for later development, right? We're testing our ideas. We're pointing at possibilities. So composition in painting, there's composition in music, there's composition in writing, composition in cinema. It, the same in theater. We're just kind of doodling some ideas that might go somewhere later on. And we take those doodles into a rehearsal with us. We try them out. Moments, theatrical moments, theatrical atoms. And um, that's what composition is. And that's how most directors go about making their work. And that's how everybody usually devises is, com- is through composition as well. So it's not just a director's tool. Actors can use it as well. Obviously, writers can use it. Designers can use it as well. Um, obviously, I'm going to be talking about it from a di- uh, a director and a designer's point of view today, but just um, hmm. coming, not ha- not necessarily having everything fleshed out, but having an idea and kind of circling that idea for a little while and kind of looking at it from all angles and going, let's try this. Now let's try that. Composition. So, so essentially it's, it's, it's how you build? Yeah. Yeah. It, think of like, Is you know, a building uh, tool. It's a building tool. It's a collecting tool. It's a refining tool. Um, yeah, you can think of it like Lego blocks. You know, you may you may put together a couple of things and you may come in and test it out. It may not work. You can disassemble it, but you can also break it down to its essential parts. You can say color is an essential part. Sound is an essential part. Space is an essential part. So just the little molecules of performance. And when you put them together... What can it build? And can you disassemble it and reassemble it in a new way? Yeah. Ah, oh, okay, okay. So that, okay, that, that, that's really clear. Okay, so that makes much more sense to me <laughs> in, my, in my, little, my little brain. My little big brain. My yeah. big little brain. Big little brain. Well, okay, so, <laughs> yeah. So I think we should, I think we should um, take a break now. Yeah. Yeah. And let everyone have time to download their uh, David Attenborough, A Life on <laughs> Our Planet. Put it in your Netflix <laughs> queue. Yeah, that's right. Put it in your queue. And uh, we'll come back and continue talking about composition. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Purple Planet. Take it away. See you on the other side of the break. planet hey hey purple planet it's it's already got the it's got the key word in it there you planet. go <laughs> <laughs> and we're back we're here we're back with monsieur adam to talk about <laughs> composition composition mm-hmm. so as a director i have a question for you yeah when you get a new uh script and you know you're going to be directing it how do you approach composition from a new script? So I think we talked about this before when I think you asked me what happens when I read a script. And I talked about I read it, you know, 10, 11 times before I actually start working on it. Um, hmm. There's a lot of information that is already there. And I'm trying to find the the plot I'm trying to find the character. I'm trying to find themes. I'm trying to find all those things before I start putting my interpretation on those things. What can I draw out first? So, you know, there's there's kind of two approaches to looking at a text from a director's point of view. And if, I, if, I'm, if I'm using the kind of the hermeneutics approach of, you know, am I drawing out or am I putting on? So, you know, if I go for an exegesis, I'm pulling things out 
of the script. What what is actually being asked by the playwright? You know, is it a unit set? Does it move? You know, let's take Cherry Orchard for example, a play that we've we all love, but not necessarily have great feelings for Chekhov. Maybe for, according to our podcast <laughs> with Doctor D, we we're all a little silent well, on that. Well, thank God Doctor D's not Cherry here. Orchard, so let's just say, <laughs> yeah. But but let's say Cherry Orchard. That's that's a pretty well known play. It's in three different locations in four acts over the course of an entire year. So that's information that's drawn out immediately from Chekhov. The place that they still call the nursery, outside of the cherry orchard, uh, inside the ballroom, back in the place that they still call the nursery from early March to about October over the course of a Mm. year. So that's information that, that is brought straight out of that. That's what I have to think about in that way. Then I have to look at the characters. I have to look at what their relationships are. I have to say, um, what are the groupings of people? So literally I'm moving bodies in space um, inside of those three different spaces over the course of a year. And then I have to think about costume. I have to think about light. I have to think about Mm -hmm. all those things. Then I have to start thinking about those magic moments. What is the sound that happens in act two Mm. it's described in five different ways what is it i have to come up with something so is it do i go for a little literal interpretation do i go for a symbolic interpretation if that's a symbolic interpretation what am i the director trying to say because Chekhov is very vague very ambiguous in that and he's being Mm. you know a really good collaborator in that way of saying well, this production can be done at any time, anywhere, and this sound can do that. The same thing with asking the question of, you know, who killed Grisha? The Grisha, the little boy, he died. Who was supposed to be looking after him that day? How much is that an important part of this story? Mm. Because, spoiler alert, the same people leave fears behind as well. So do you plant <laughs> do you plant that seed from the beginning? So there's all these things that I'm pulling out of the script before I do what is called an isogetic, an interpretation onto the script. So exegesis, yeah, exegetic, exegesis, pulling out of the script, isogetic, putting onto the script. So for instance, if I wanted to uh, contemporize, modernize Cherry Orchard, and I could put it during the 2008 financial crisis when everybody was losing their houses. I mean, there was literally, there was literally that saying, I'm underwater. I am underwater mm. on payments of my mortgage. And that's, mm. that's very similar to how they are in the Cherry Orchard. So I could go, oh, okay, it's like that. I can, I, 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 I can kind of put it in this situation and everybody will understand that. Or you can do it in a much more radical way, like there have been, you know, Productions of the Tempest on the Moon, and Caliban is an alien, and you know that's a, it's a completely isogetic interpretation of going. None of this is in the script, but it is similar. It is a similar situation to doing that. Um, and there are directors that live completely in isogetic land. Um, what directors do you do you see as an isogetic director? Uh, so. Um, Robert Lepage is is completely isogetic, I think. Um, Why? Well, because he is always – well, one, he's devising most of his work. So he's already interpreting from the beginning point. He's, he's not typically starting from a, um, a classic text. But if he does a classic text, he is contemporizing it, modernizing it, putting it into a situation that we, a contemporary audience, can immediately grab onto. So a director – if they're doing a classic work, they've got, they have two choices. Do you bring the play to the audience? Do you bring the audience to the play? If I'm doing Doll's House, uh, again, I'm just trying to choose an old, creaky, dusty play that we've all had to re- read at some point and we all go, Ugh, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to do that. I don't ever want to do a production of that again. It doesn't make sense in 2020. It doesn't make sense in 1980, honestly, to get to the end of that play and be surprised that Nora walks out on her husband. But you have to go to 1880 when that was a radical thing. So how do you get the audience to that moment? Because Ibsen wrote that moment, and it's your job in the production to make that moment work. 
there was a production that we saw in Singapore, um, and it was directed by Norafindi Ibrahim, and he recast the doll's house in a completely conservative Malay household. So mm-hmm. Nora was wearing hijab. She was, you know, very dutiful to her husband. Um, it was a very conservative Malay Muslim household. All of a sudden, mm. her leaving her husband at the end of the play felt important. It felt radical. It felt like this would have repercussions in this society. Gorgeous. It was a gorgeous yeah. production. It was really beautiful. And that's what he did. He brought the audience to the play. He brought the play to the audience. So I don't understand these classic works that really do it, you know, in period style and then expect us to just understand that this was radical back then. Instead, yeah, but yeah, fair you know, enough. You know, oh, they're wearing petticoats and, you know, you know, nice shoes and they're all, you know, like we talked about last week, style. St- they're, they're being very stylized in their acting. And here's this moment that is so common nowadays. And we go, oh, okay, I guess, I guess they couldn't walk out on each other when they wore petticoats. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> So you have to, so you have to bring the play to the audience and that that's an eisegetic interpretation. Um, Another director who, who does this as well is Peter Sellers, the American theater director, Peter Sellers. Um, All of his productions are always contemporized in some way. So, you know, if he does say uh, Don Juan or uh, Marriage of Figaro, the operas, He's, you know, like his his fa- famous production of Marriage of Figaro set in Trump Tower in the 1980s. Like, if I just tell you that, you can already kind of imagine Marriage of Figaro in that way. 1980s mm. Trump Tower, I totally understand what that world is. And that's kind of the, that's the kind of the key <laughs> to an eisegetic pr- uh, production is going, I'm, I'm trying to tap into the, to the audience's brain and kind of bypass any, any stigmas or any, any um, preconceived notions of this production. You know, when we do Streetcar Named Desire, we always do it in the 1940s in New Orleans. <laughs> so, and, so I have a question. Yeah. So then wh- where would, where would, um, uh, let's talk about the directors we, we keep talking about. Where would Castellucci live in this? Oh, well, he's in a completely different world altogether. He's, he's in his own world <laughs> making his own stuff. Uh, it's it, uh, completely eisegetic. Um, though... Though his dramaturg, Piazzandra Di Matteo, would argue that it's exegetic because he's drawing all of his material from that, from the text itself, but you never see any of that material. He is very much an eisegetic. Um, it is his interpretation. It's his brainchild. It's his baby. It's coming from his brain. And that's, and that's what you're buying a ticket to see. You're not, you're not looking to see, you know, his doll's house. He'll never do a doll's house. But like you're never you're – not, you're not paying to see what – what did he glean from – doll's house you're you're looking to see what does the dolls what does a doll's house look like inside of castellucci's brain (laughs) you know the same thing with you know like richard foreman or um Mm. uh, actually talk about richard foreman we haven't spoken about richard foreman yeah (laughs) for those of you who don't know about richard foreman that's he that's a really good uh uh figure to talk about the new york theater and the off-broadway scene avant-garde yeah the the grandfather of the avant-garde i mean he's Mm. um uh he's a he's a kind of a he's a figure that you either really love his work or you really hate his work there's no there's, no, there's not ambivalence toward his work mm, and mm, um and i'm i'm one of the people that i hate the work i hate the work <laughs> but no but that's that's okay because i will always go and see it whenever i'm back in new york i will always go see something that richard foreman does because it frustrates me it frustrates me in like the best artistic way of going like, I don't understand why people like this. I don't understand why this works. I don't understand why, you know, he continuously does this and gets away with it. Not in a way of like he, you know, he shouldn't or I'm better than, but really of going like, I don't understand his brain. His brain is something magical and different. He sees mm. the world differently and he's forcing yeah. all the rest of us to see the world differently as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't necessarily have to like it. But I have to respect it. I have to respect it. Mm. But again, a completely eisegetic production. All of mm. his shows are his interpretations. They're also his writing, his devising. But he has he has directed classic plays in the past. His, his, he has a very famous production of the Three Penny Opera in Central Park and Shakespeare in the Park. That I would love to see that. Yeah, 
I mean, it's it's one of those things where I like he'd fit quite well in that play. Absolutely. <laughs> I always have a, like a lot of like for me. I'm like I I I have fun. I think the clown in me just has fun because it's usually nonlinear and visually stimulating and and uh, stimulating to the ears. It's musical. Mm-hmm. It's 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 yeah. rhythmic. It's physical. It's um, uh, sound and movement, mm-hmm. and it and it's and it's playful. Um, but I could I could totally see why you hate it. <laughs> I could totally see you sitting and going, "Why am I sitting here?" Yes, every <laughs> single time. But I always go see it. And the, and thing here's the thing. I have the most amazing dreams the night after that show. <laughs> he's tapping he's mm-hmm. tapping into something subconscious in every single one of us and you know I have lucid dreams that those nights. It's, you know, I I, I can't deny he's doing something. I just can't stand being in it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's that's really great because that's funny because I wanted to I wanted to recommend another book and this really this really kind of falls into that. Um looking at why we don't like something because mm. those things that we don't like actually enlist our instincts to do something to change that, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know how much I can't stand racism. And so the, and so what it does for my instincts is for me to do things that counter that, you know, so to trust those things that actually bring that disgust in you, that it makes you move forward. And, and, and I would recommend the book instinct, by uh, T.D. Jakes, J-A-K-E-S, Instinct by T.D. Jakes. And it's it's incredible. Um, and there's a, there's a spiritual component added, added onto it from his Christian um, faith, but like it's not exclusively for Christians. Yeah. Um, it's looking at spirituality and looking at how we're designed for instinct and how when we know how to use our instincts and couple it with intelligence, how it's endless our possibilities. So I highly recommend Instinct for those of you who are feeling stilted. If you're mm. feeling like, oh, why the fuck am I doing this? Get some inspiration from T.D. Jakes. It's pretty awesome shit. Um, yeah. And I did not, but as I go back into this conversation with you, Mr. Marple, I've got one other director I wanted you to kind of give us a perspective on mm-hmm. because um, uh, uh, we've been, we, we talk about him a lot and that's Ivo Von Hovo. So yeah. tell us about Ivo Von Hovo. He's an interesting one because he is, he's doing both. He's doing both of them, and he's doing them so well, it's actually a little bit difficult to tell which one he's doing. Mm. I mean, he has, he has his own aesthetic, There's, that's for sure. Like, I don't think that, I, that you could put me in, you know, blindfold me, take me into a theater, and I see, you know, a minute of his show and not know that it's him. I mean, he, I, I know his design very well. I know the way he works with actors very well. I know his kind of um, – I mean, obviously, he's using media on stage as well, but – it's he's doing both. He is he is drawing from the text. He has an incredible dramaturgical process of pulling out everything that the playwright has. I mean, even to the point of like going beyond the play itself and going to what else was the playwright writing at that time and reading at that time. Where was the playwright's brain when they were working on mm. this? Because I'm going to go mm. beyond this text and I'm going to go into that moment in time that the playwright was writing that thing. So he does that incredibly. And then, of course, he's, he's absolutely, you know, he contemporizes everything he does. Um, he's, he's bringing it to the audience and he's putting his interpretation onto those two things. But his dramaturgy is so incredibly strong that his strong brain is meeting with the strong dramaturgy. And that conflict and that fight is what we actually love about his shows. That kind of mm. tension, that tension that just lives inside of his shows is both of those things trying to speak equally the entire time and having that tension. So, um, and it's physically tangible. I think that's the thing that's just the, the he, he gets you feeling things and oftentimes you don't know why you're feeling these things. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and he just knows how to get you going and i always try to catch him i always like i try to catch him and he always passes me i by the you know what i mean and then like at the end i'm like he did it again i just got von hovod yeah it does it there's always a curveball you're never expecting it like even when you were talking about the crucible that you were like this mm. is this is horrible why should i stay should i just leave the intermission and if you had you never you wouldn't never would have got that that sucker punch that gut punch of, mm. of what was going to happen and that mm. gut punch is what keeps you there. It brings you back in. It happens with every Galtney single production. Galtney kept me there. He brought, Galt, I have to say Galtney brought me back in because yeah. it was so big. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and Galtney's like, no, go back, go back, go back, booty. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I yeah. think that's that's really awesome. That's really clear. So um, let's take a break, mm-hmm. and then we'll come back and 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 talk about um, a way to to uh, to uh, apply composition for those that are still trying to figure out how composition can help them in their storytelling as directors and actors and as artists in general, and yeah. how that how it can aid them and how it can hinder them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we'll come back after um, everyone has a little break with Purple Planet. Keyword planet, planet, (laughs) Purple Planet. Ah. (laughs) See you after the break. Thank you, Purple Planet. Thank you, Purple Planet. <laughs> so b- before we went on break, I, I, I wanted to uh, just kind of set you up for uh, this section of our, of our conversation. But I would love for you to find ways to talk about how someone who doesn't even understand this concept of composition, how would one even begin to... Um, apply it to their work and Mm -hmm. what are the pitfalls and what are the advantages? So it really is, it's it's about enumerating. It's about collecting. It's about putting aside what is it that you want to work on at the time and really thinking in a granular level, right? We get a script, we get a play, we get a scene and we see the whole and it's, you know, it's the, it's the old adage. You can't see the forest for the trees. I want you to look at the trees. Don't look at the hole right now. Just look at the trees. What little things are already asked for there, right? Let's, uh, let's take any hmm. scene. Any scene, there's there's going to be a costume of some kind. Can there be a costume moment or are they just wearing the costumes? Hmm. Is there a prop? Does the actor handle anything? Can there be a prop moment or is it just on stage? Okay, well, they're in a space. Can there be a space moment? So it's about kind of like writing down everything that is there. There is light. There is sound. There is prop. There is costume. There is actor's body. There is time. There is space. There are all these things that are just naturally there that we take for granted and we go, okay, yeah, wear a costume, pick up that cup and go sit on that table. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's three moments right there that you can make magic. Now, does every single play need magic? No, absolutely not. But it's not about it's not about censoring ourselves at this point. It's about creating and sketching and going, maybe I'll only keep a little bit of that sketch, but I need to sketch so that I can see what the boundaries that this scene can take. And a good and a good play will take anything that you throw at it. A bad play will crumble immediately underneath it. So you'll know immediately if, if you can do this or not, but you've got a costume. The actor is wearing something. Does that costume uh, define them? Does it does it uh, elucidate something about how they're feeling? Is this an an inner world costume, an outer world costume? Can you know? Does it represent their dreams and their goals, or does it represent their their oppression? What does? How can you express that with the costume? How, is there a moment that you can create uh, just through costuming that further? Uh, exemplifies that thing that we're trying to exemplify, whether it be oppression or freedom or hopes or dreams or whatever. There's a prop. They're picking up a letter. They're picking up a glass, whatever that is. Um, Is the glass a glass? Does the glass represent something else? Can it be? Can it turn into something? Can the glass coupled with light turn into something? Can the glass coupled with Mm. sound turn into something? I pick up a, a wine glass and I begin drinking it. As soon as the wine glass hits my lips, the first... Uh, the first refrain of Beethoven's ninth begins. So, dun-dun-dun-dun, mm. right? Plays as soon as I do that, right? I mean, it's a little heavy-handed. It's a little bit over, mm-hmm. you know, hitting you over the head. But all of a sudden, that wine glass hitting my lips now has meaning. It has it has moment to it. Um, mm. 
the way that the actor uses the space. Is it a pedestrian space? Is it an internal space? Is it a space that represents more than those things? How does the actor use time? So before you even get into it, just kind of mark down all the things that are naturally, exegetically there in the scene. All the things that the playwright gave you to play with. Mm -hmm. From there... And from your interpretation, then you start to put your interpretation on top of that and go, it's kind of like this. It reminds me of that. And then you play. You play. And that's, and that's when you want to have an actor. That's when you really want to have yeah. an actor. Because no, <laughs> no matter what sketches I do, I come in with an actor who's really imaginative and fun and playful. And they're going to mm-hmm. give me a thousand different things. If I say, you know, you have a comb you have a tablecloth and you have a box of cereal. Mm-hmm. They don't have to remain those things. Let's do the scene. <laughs> Which is an actor's, you know, greatest uh, gift and yeah. and greatest nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, my imagination? But how my imagination? Oh, I love my imagination, but how my imagination? <laughs> you mean I can do how- anything? Yes, you can do anything. Please. Please do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And I've so seen... so what are the pitfalls then? The pitfalls what have you seen? are go with what the... you've seen and then I want some pitfalls after that. Talk well, I was going to say I was going to say I've, go to I've seen a beautiful I've seen a beautiful uh, me giving a workshop in composition. I saw a beaut- I gave the I gave the challenge of, you know, um I'm going to give you the compositional elements instead of you trying to find them. I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you obstructions in the kind of, you know, uh, Lars von Trier, uh, uh, 22 obstructions kind of thing. You know, he, he has this great movie called The Five Obstructions where he he uh, challenges his teacher to remake his famous film in five radically different ways. You know, one of them is I want you to I want you to remake your film, but no – no shot can be more than two seconds long. So it's an incredible oh, amount cool. of editing that needs to be done. And then he says, now I want you to reshoot it and I want you to shoot it in um, one of the worst conditions in the world. And he decides to go to the red light district of uh, Mumbai. You know, hmm. really horrible conditions and he's shooting it in the midst of the street there and being surrounded by, you know, utter poverty and and it that was you know it really kind of broke him uh the next mm. one the next obstruction was to uh remake the film as an animated film and you know he hated every second of that so really kind of just <laughs> giving yourself rules that you have to push against and mm. so so one of the one of the most beautiful things i've seen is uh a composition workshop that i gave and i gave you know a bunch of different things and then i kind of put in a a, a curveball of saying um so you have to use, you know, this white lace doily, you have to use, you know, this music, and you have to use a um, a cereal box from today. And people were like, what? A cereal box? And a lot of people, you know, <laughs> the cereal box remained a cereal box. The cereal box, yeah. You know, <laughs> because they couldn't figure out, like, what else could the cereal box be? The most beautiful part, the most beautiful composition I saw was somebody tore up the cereal box and used it like snow in the scene. They tore it into tiny little pieces, this little cardboard, and they, you know, they they kind of sprinkled it over the head of the actor, and it was beautiful. They used it. Yeah. I gave him a cereal box. I didn't say it had to be a cereal box. It can be anything, and it was that imagination that was there. So to to answer your question of what is is a pitfall is um, you get so bogged down in the thing of the of mm. what it is that you don't have anything to push back against. So mm. rules, giving yourself rules actually is better to free you up because if 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 you can do anything, then you can do anything. And <laughs> what's to and what's to say which direction you should even begin? Should we begin left? Should we begin right? Should we go up? Should we go down? But if you say you can only go left or up, okay. That that okay, I have got to figure out but I want to go right. So how can I bring right to my left, you know, mm. I have I have a cereal box, but I don't want a cereal box. I don't want any kind of contemporary pop culture thing in this scene that I'm working on. How do I turn a cereal box into a classic, beautiful aesthetic symbol? Hmm. And look, that's where I, rules like come in. I know. 
but this is the thing. I know we we talk about theater. We've been talking about theater. We're the theater of others. But I just need to bring in Lovecraft Country at this point because the composition of that show is fucking incredible. Not to mention the lead actor, Atticus Jonathan Majors, <laughs> being the best motherfucking actor in town. Hello. Hello, Jay. You are amazing. No, but seriously, like... uh. It, the because it starts off in the sense of like the way that it's composed like the beginning of the season feels like you're waking up from something mm. it's like you're like there's this haze like it's they they compose it in the way that like it's it feels familiar but it's not familiar i'm here but like i'm waking up and then how it pushes you into this place of uh, as people start to wake up, realizing their infinite possibility, and that's mm. why that's why it brought me to thinking of Lovecraft Country. And if you haven't seen it, y'all, you need to get you need to catch up, y'all. Lovecraft Country on HBO. I'm telling you, y'all think Game of Thrones was amazing? Mm. Y'all need to get up on Lovecraft Country because this is the next level. And this is what I love about HBO. I love it when they go, um, "Hello, just in case you don't remember, we're motherfucking HBO." Biatch. <laughs> we started um, this. We made this. We started this, this shit. <laughs> we started this shit. Yeah. Um, you know, but but I'm just thinking about just that composition because because how it elicits emotional response as well. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. and and like and that's what's happening for me while 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 watching Lovecraft Country. Like I watch it, you know, for many reasons why I watch it. But like I I, I watch it like three and four times a like an episode three and four times because it's just that rich mm. you know and so i would say that theater needs to be able to do that and it, i think composition is a way to keep people going back to watching something like for like when I, we look at composition and how an actor composes a role mm-hmm. for example and uh when I, I and i remember when i saw viola davis do uh esther and in intimate apparel mm. Um, I think it was at second stage or I can't remember. It was, you know, and, and this was when I was broke. I was a broke, you know, student actor. And, uh, uh, and I paid full price to see it because I was like, you got to go see this. You got to go see this. You got to go see this. You know, and, and this is the thing about what I loved about New York is like the word of mouth is better than anything on the planet mm-hmm. because everyone will talk about the shows that yeah. are worth something. Because yeah. there's a lot of shit out there. Because you think that just because you're in New York, you're going to get some really good theater. Not true. <laughs> you got to listen to you know, the the vibration and listen to the the the, the what what the rumors are. Yeah. And so I was being told, go go. You got to go see it. You got to go. And by the way, I was also told about. Uh, um, 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 Passing strange the same way, and I was affected the same way. Where I saw it three times, like mm-hmm. full price. Um, but like when I went to go see Intimate Apparel, I saw it, and the way she composed this this role, I I sat there and was like, that is the best live performance I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking way she can do that again. I think this was this is just you know this is I I just I ended up here on a good matinee day, like there's no way that this actor this human being has composed this role with this kind of detail and specificity that they can repeat this. So I was like, I got to go again. Paid full price a second time, and then she did it again, and then I was like, I need to go again and learn. Mm-hmm. from this woman i need to go and learn what she's doing because that's incredible and once mm-hmm. again the third time she did it again and then i and then that took me into her practice took me into her composition and how she composed the role and the details mm-hmm. that were so uh relevant and and radiant you know so that's what that's what i was that's what makes me think of for an actor when we're thinking about composition it's those moments of i grab the i grab the that cup on this line for a reason i bring yeah. it to my lips on this line for a reason mm-hmm. i pull back away from the cup it's not because i hear you know the music in 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 the theater it's because i have a memory that's taking me into dun 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 which pulls <laughs> us into style yeah. right yeah well, that's, I mean, it's, it's those little things, the collection of all those little moments that an actor does that we call personality. 
that we eventually call character. And it's, it's being able to compose those things and going, it's not me doing this. It's, it's the character doing this, but I'm also serving the play and I'm also serving the playwright at the same time. So I, I have to live truthfully, but I also have to live symbolically as well. And it's, it's the actors who can live, tr- you know, mm. most, you know, most actors are working to live truthfully and that's great. And that's fantastic. And you should, it's when you can go beyond that and also understand mm-hmm. the symbolism of those things as well as when you really start to compose a role, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's the thing of like thinking like a conductor, thinking like a, like a, a composer, you are, you are scoring an entire role an entire mm-hmm. section you know and sometimes you're playing the brass and sometimes you're playing you're playing the 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 woodwinds and the same as an actor you are composing the entire role of this thing mm-hmm. and you know i i never have seen her on stage sadly but you know when you were telling the story i was thinking of her performance in fences mm. and my god she's just stunning in that and just <laughs> Seeing her break down and be strong and break down and be strong and break down that entire film is just, you know, it's she's a stunning actress. And then, you know, she can go and be that lady in Suicide Squad or she can go and be the random character in the Avengers movie or whatever it is. You know, it's like she's able to she's able to cross and do whatever she needs to do because she's a badass actress. She's she's phenomenal because she knows how to compose a character to draw it up and sketch it out and then bring it to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's really what we're asking you to do as an artist, you know. If you're doing it, why? Mm-hmm. You know, we've we had conversations about this, you know, when we first started this podcast about, you know, the, the censorship laws in Singapore, right? Of like mm-hmm. and one of the things they asked is, okay, so you have nudity. Why? Why? <laughs> is Which there is any... a fair question. Yeah. Is there <laughs> any other way that you could do this? No? Okay. Why? Okay. Why? Yeah, and if Explain you answer the question, you you get on a list. You get a, you get a naked Doctor D, because <laughs> <laughs> Doctor D was the first full nudity in Singapore live performance of theater. Mm-hmm. You know, I told you that the medicine is strong. Doctor D don't play. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes her breasts come out. <laughs> I'm sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably you know she's cracking up. She's like yeah. 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 <laughs> oh lord i think we should take a break and then maybe come back for some provocations yeah i think it's a good time for it yeah <laughs> yeah elizabeth's breasts have come out so <laughs> we need to go we need to go to a break <laughs> i love you dr d <laughs> we love you dr d <laughs> yes we do yes we do take it away purple planet <laughs> We're back. Thank you, Purple. P-L-A-N-E-T. Dyslexia. I was about to put that. P-L-A-N-T? That's plant. Purple plant. No, purple planet. Okay. (laughs) David Ambrose created created a... Monster, monster for yeah. the environment. Oh, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> My students are like going, I love you, booty, because we've been trying to tell you this for the longest time and now you're waking up. No, I knew about it before. <laughs> anyway, wow. let's talk about the provocation. Yeah. I know you're not one for provocations, but this is your jam, buddy. I yeah, think no, you need I... to give us a provocation. Yeah. So, um, I would love everybody to whether you whether you consider yourself a director or not. I would love everybody to try and do this. Um, I want you to take any play. You've got a play sitting around. You should have a play sitting around. If you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in. Theater. If you don't, you're going to get your ass whooped next time you, I see you. You should have a play yeah. sitting around. You should have a, you should have <laughs> something something that you're interested in something that you that you've always loved something that has been, um, you know. 
there on the on the list of like oh, I want to do this as we said in several several podcasts back you know what's the play you want to do what's the role you want to do and I want you to pull it out and I want you to look at that scene and I want you to break down into molecules the theatrical atoms what are the little what are the things uh that you can make these moments out of you have the entire theatrical language at your service to do something with what is it and I want you to start drawing together these moments, sequencing some of these moments, expressing some of these moments. You know, is it a piece of music that's mentioned? Or is it a piece of music that you want to put on top of? Is it a swath of color that is mentioned? Or do you feel a color uh, when you read this scene? It's a, I feel red. I know the scene is, is not an angry scene, but I feel red. Um, do you want to have, you know, multimedia is a part of it. Is there a line of spoken text that, you know, uh, can something be drawn out of that? Is it a sound of burst of laughter? Is it is it the gestures that the actors are going to do? What are those things? What are those things that you automatically see from an exegetic point of view? Sequence them, write them down. This happens, this happens, this happens, this is mentioned, this is mentioned, this is mentioned. Then, eisegetically, uh, what's your interpretation of that? And send it to us. You know, I would love to see these things. I mean, look. Yeah, me too. I know. I know. When we when we're talking about theater, we're we're talking about live theater typically, but you can absolutely do composition over Zoom. I've taught workshops hmm. uh, of composition on Zoom. It's it's just thinking of the camera as your audience. There are things you need to think about. Things need to change. But we're sketching. What's a better way to sketch as a director and be able to see your work than to film it and look back on it and go, okay, the, it, this would be better if I turned the light on here. It, it needs an orange gel, not a red gel. This is a great time to record something, look at it, play with it, and go, now how do I transfer that to the stage? How do I do that live? How can I, how can I collaborate with people? If I do a video and I have somebody else do a video, how can we collaborate those two videos together? So um, I would love, I would love, love, love. As Booty, as Booty said in the past, you know, if you want to send him something, he'll give you notes. If you want to send me something, you want to send us something for this mm. composition, we would absolutely mm. love to give you some feedback on that. Um, digital, I, I, I learned this thing yesterday. What is it? We're not calling it digital theater. We're calling it live video theater. That's what everybody's, that's, that's the kind of... Uh, the, the, at least it's the academic term that's being used right now. Live okay, video live theater. Okay, live video theater, y'all. Live video theater. I, I, think, I think live video theater is absolutely um, built for this moment, for a director, mm. for an actor to sketch, to, to work out some kinks, to play some, to play some tricks, to um, really kind of get into a space and futz around. So mm-hmm. I want you to take I want you to take a text that you know and you love, break it down exegetically. What's coming from the script? Isegetically, your interpretation on top of it, and then record it, record it, play with it, and you'll learn you'll learn a lot just from watching it yourself. And you may want to do it again. Send it to us. We'd love to see it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really great. I'm just going to tag on to that, and I'm, I'm just speak. I'm, I'm just going to speak to the actors specifically because you want to look at you want to look at how a role is being composed and i think one of the best compositions you'll see um from and i'm 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 leaving theater again but we need to go into some film you need to watch jonathan majors in the last black man of san francisco that composition of that role is extraordinary and it'll give you an idea of the kind of um choices you can make as an actor to feed into the whole composition, whole composition of a piece, mm. um, and and he's doing it throughout Lovecraft Country. I mean, like he's just he's just doing it, man. And um, but uh, as an actor, you need to put yourself in that that mindset of what I'm what I'm learning and composing is for the overall story, right? And how I and how I move through space, use the space, use my body, use the costume, use whatever I have with what's on the page to continue moving the story forward. Hmm. So what is your role in composing? So I would say take on Adam's take on Adam's provocation from an actor's perspective. Yeah. And uh, you can you can send us questions. Uh, you can send us 
provocations back. Uh, if you want to leave us a voice note, you can send it to speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Again, speakpipe.com backslash theater of others, theater with an R-E. Um, you can play a 90-second uh, recording. We'll play it on air. We'll, we'll answer it. We're going to do a Q&A, a knee, uh, knee conversation. Uh, if you want to send us a video, I would recommend sending it to podcast at Theater of Others. You can also send us questions and email that way as well, um, as well as our Facebook page, Theater of Others. Um, we'd love to hear from and you. Subscribe. And subscribe. And subscribe, subscribe, you know, subscribe. We want to hear from you. We, we, we'll yeah, have yeah. a... Uh, we'll have a uh, another knee conversation with some Q and A uh, later on. We, you, you know, that the it's, it's already come out with some Q and As, and it's great to hear from uh, those people. Uh, but send us send us some stuff. Provoke us as well. I mean, if you're if you're working on something and you're finding something, then mm. we'd be happy to to kind of look at that and think about it and, and kind of be provoked by those things. Um, and also I'm give gonna, you a shout out to your work. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, we want to give shout outs to to things that are happening. And, and, and you've heard us, you know, Sara Caputo and Jun Viento and Lian Sutton and Rafael Lacat. Anything that you've got going on, we will plug it because we like you. And if you're doing good work, we, we want to make you make you famous with your good work. Mm. Um, I want to I want to recommend one book in this oh, uh, in this in this kind of conversation. Um, it's about, it is about devising and composition and things like that. And this is a book, uh, by Moises Kaufman and the Tectonic Theater Company. Uh, if you don't know who Tectonic Theater Company is, folks, Tectonic Theater Company, you, you may know, you'll probably know the Laramie Project. It's a very well-known play. Mm -hmm. And, um, Tectonic Theater Company, uh, created, devised, did that play, and that's what they're really, really known for. I mean, they're known for many other things. They, the, the Three Trials of Oscar Wilde, uh, 33 Variations, very many plays. Um, but Laramie Project, obviously, is, is is kind of the – it's the our town of the 21st century kind of thing. Um, they have a, a process of devising called moment work. And if mm. you've ever had an opportunity to see their stuff, you can see there's a lot of magic. There's a lot of theatrical magic in, this, in mm. the work that they do. And they finally released a book uh, last year um, okay. kind of uh, telling, you, telling you about your process. It's kind of a workbook of how to do it. It's called Ooh. Moment Work. Tectonic Theater Projects, uh, Process of Devising by Moises Kaufman. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, but I highly, highly recommend it. If you're interested in this kind of composition work, it's really granular. It'll take you every kind of thing and, and give you kind of some pointers and tips. It's really, really lovely uh, to, to kind of be in that world and take it. So I highly recommend that book. Oh, that's really great. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that's that's it for now. That is for you. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. It's so good to see you, Adam. It's always great to see you, Booty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to see you soon for rehearsal. That's right. It's never ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The clock is a ticking. <laughs> yeah. It is ticking down. It's it's true. Actually, by the time that this let me think about it. By the time this podcast is out, we will have already opened the show. Oh, feels. I'm having all kinds of feels. That's right. <laughs> so, folks, if you haven't already gotten your tickets for our show, <laughs> please make Now's sure to. Now is the time. Exactly. Uh, you can find, obviously, you can find that information. We'll put the information in the show notes, but you can find the information on the Theater of Others website, theaterofothers.com. That's theater with an R-E, theaterofothers, all one word, dot com. And you'll find all the information about... Uh, limb from limb and when we perform it uh, we have different times during the week because we've got five different time zones so we want to be cognizant and able to to do the show for everybody um so check out theater brothers website for uh tickets and times for limb from limb yeah. it's on like donkey kong <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I think that would be a great way to, <laughs> I guess, at, well, by the time you hear this, it would be a great way for me to prepare for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> and we'll see you all again next week. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we're back in playwright land, and we're going to be talking about dramatic themes. The difference between Ooh. drama, drama this, this coming time, the next time around, we'll be talking about comedy. So drama, Whoa. tragedy. Yeah. That's, that's intense. It could be. It sounds hard. <laughs> that's a hard topic. Well, that's what we chose. <laughs> I don't know I why. Know. But I got to call Daltney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you again next week or hear you again next week. Or you'll hear us again next week. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to see you, though. But we yeah. would love to see you and hear, and hear from you. Um, and uh, have a great week, y'all. And yeah. take care of the planet. That's right. Take care of the planet. Take care of each other. Yeah. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week on the Theater Brothers Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theaterbrothers.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too. A special thank you to Purple Planet for the music you've heard. The Theater Brothers creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purposes of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary, and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task and requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Be sure to tune in next week for our next journey.